Welcome to the Fundamental Baptist Podcast. There are many types of Baptists, but being a Baptist once meant that you were a fundamentalist. Over the years, many Baptists have strayed from the fundamentals and thus attack those who remain true to the faith. This podcast will address the issues surrounding what it means to be a fundamental Baptist. Somebody said, Brother House, fundamentalists are changing, aren't they? No, fundamentalists don't change. Folks quit being fundamentalists. God says when the troubles come, He said fight. You can't fight. He said withstand. You can't withstand. He said stand. What does it mean to stand? He said don't change. What? Don't change what? Number one, don't change what you believe. Here we will reason concerning the scriptures about the doctrines we hold dear. We believe in souls being saved, lives being changed, and Bible doctrines being strengthened by the Word of God. We believe in the local church, soul winning, missions, and everything taught in the King James Bible. I thank God tonight for this wonderful Bible. You know, I, I thank God it's a perfect book, and I, I love the Bible. Doesn't need any addition, no correction, nothing taken from it. Thank God tonight for the Holy Bible. I like it just like it is. We are not ashamed of being fundamental Baptists, and we want to encourage others to remain true to the Bible, their Baptist heritage, and to not change what they have been given. You just stick with the book. You can't beat this book. Why does every generation feel that we got to change it just a little bit because our daddy did it as I said, and our granddaddy did it like that, and let's change it just a little bit. You change it, and things that are different are not the same. The same commit thou to faithful men. Thank you for joining us in our discussion of what it means to be a fundamental Baptist. Hello and welcome, David Baker. Welcome to the Fundamental Baptist Podcast. We're glad that you're here. I have the privilege of being your host today. No guests today, no uh, sidekicks. Uh, this is just me with a very, very important topic. If you saw by the title, Have We Made Greek a God? Have we made Greek a God? We'll get into that. Um, you don't have to watch on video, but this is on video on YouTube, and I'm going to be showing today some books, uh, so you may want to go look at it or go look back at it. Most of the books will be shown in the beginning, so if you want to listen on podcasts and then go afterwards and go look, uh, look it up and watch the beginning on YouTube uh, to show you some things. So very important subject, and um, hang with me. I believe <laughs> uh, you'll see some things, learn some things, uh, and open your eyes to do your own study. Um, some of you already know this. Some of you know way more than I do on this. Uh, some of you, uh, like me a few years ago, didn't know anything about this, and uh, it was an eye-opener for me. So uh, when I got started in ministry, I finally surrendered to um, preach went to Bible college, um, I was acquainted again with um, my namesake. Uh, my name's David. I was named after a man named David Clock. David Clock was a friend of my dad's in the army. My dad grew up Methodist, very moral, but not saved. David Clock was a Baptist and uh, showed him how to go to heaven. And my dad named me after that friend that showed him how to go to heaven. David Clock lives in Riverside, California. And uh, he... Um, is a Greek scholar, a Bible scholar, and uh, this is a book that he gave me. It's called Refresh Your Greek. I am not a Greek scholar. Uh, I never claimed to be, but especially back in the beginning of the ministry, I wanted to know the Greek. I wanted to be able to understand. I wanted to be able to make sure that I uh, was explaining and teaching things the right way. By the way, in the front of this book, you can see there in the video, uh, it's uh, to, uh, it was from Dave Clark's library. He gave this to me uh, after I was in the 
the ministry to, quote, refresh my Greek. And so, um, and I got into that. In Bible college, I took Greek, uh, as many courses as I could. I even took Hebrew. You didn't have to take Hebrew. Hebrew wasn't required for pastoral theology, but I did. I, if I'm going to take Greek, I want to take Hebrew. I want to know Hebrew, and very interesting. This is my uh, uh, Wilson's um, uh, Hebrew uh, dictionary book to be able to have that. Of course, Franz Concordance, um, I'll tell you the story about that, but here's one of mine. I've had three or four of them, and the new one, the old one, the blue um, the blue um, denim one, of course, to have that. Um, then uh, it's a New Testament Greek, uh, a beginner reader grammar for New Testament Greek. Um, and then this one, Essentials of New Testament Greek by Summers, and um, I even had, are you ready? Here you go. The Hebrew Greek Study Bible by Zodiades. Okay. I'm probably not pronouncing that right, but um, uh, it has a Strong's Dictionary, Word Studies, and Concordance inside of this. It was amazing. I was so excited to get this. When you're reading it, it has the numbers of Strong's right in the text. And then in the back of the Bible, you can go, and there it is. There's a concordance, and there are the definitions right there in the back of the Bible. There it is. Strong's definitions, concordance right in the back of the Bible. Is that incredible? This was my favorite, boy, when I got this. Um, then a shorter lexicon of the Greek um, New Testament, another lexicon for that. Then, of course, uh, Moulton's. This is what we had in Bible college in Greek. This is my copy from um, from that. It has been used, and uh, to be able to use that, and boy, this is it. We had to be able to make sure we gave you the definitions, the true definitions. And then, um, of course, of the Greek, uh, then this is, uh, this is actually the uh, critical text, and so I have one of those to be able to comparing to look at. And so this is uh, the third edition of the UBS, which is the same as the 26th edition of the Nestle Lalonde. They're right now on the 28th edition of the Nestle Lalonde and um, the fifth edition of the UBS critical text. The Greek texts are the same, but they're laid out differently. One for scholars, one for students. Um, and then uh, this Greek New Testament, this was the one that we had in Bible College. Still has a sticker from the store on it. And uh, so this was the one, the Trinitarian Bible Society, okay? Trinitarian Bible Society. And boy, this is the best Greek. This is the TR. This is the Texas Receptus. We'll get into that. Really, really, really important. By the way, just looking through uh, the books in the library, I found this. I picked up somewhere. It's an English New Testament, okay? Uh, it's from 1880. 1880. If you know anything about what's going on in 1880, very much uh, the time of the critical text, the revised version that came out in 1881, okay? Um, this Greek New Testament was put together from the revised committee so they would have a back translation of the King James Bible because uh, they didn't have that. And so they took a King James Bible, back translated, and came up with this. But um, this is a New Testament, English New Testament from 1880. It's amazing to be able to see, and that there's too much to go into on this. It'd be fun to do a whole uh, podcast about this. But the whole bottom, as far as margin, if you can see that in there, the whole bottom, like you'd have Strong's or like you'd have uh, Schofield Bible, all the notes there, all the notes at the bottom of this is showing every verse with little footnotes showing which manuscript evidence is for each of these in a New Testament. Okay, in the New Testament. Why would they do that? Why would they have all this manuscript evidence to be able to uh, put all that together? Why would they do that? Um, pretty interesting to be able to show because what they're doing is the same thing that happened in the beginning of um, the Bible. Yea, hath God said. The whole thing is always to question the word of God. 
and then to change the word of God. Uh, God doth know in the day ye tell of you shall be as God. Ye shall not surely die. First, get him to question the word of God, then to change the word of God. And listen carefully. That is exactly what they are doing with the Greek. Okay, so the title of this is, Have We Made Greek a God? Have We Made Greek a God? Exodus 20, verse 3, as you know, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Um, we should not put anything before God, in front of God, above God. So when we say this, well, see, what that word really means is this. When we say what it really means, then we're saying what the Bible said is not really what it means. So what are we doing? We're elevating the Greek or these Greek definitions above the Bible, and I believe above God. Well, what the word actually means is this. Well, in the original language, what it means is this. Well, the word actually means in the original, how many times have we heard that? What are we doing? We are elevating <laughs> Greek above God, above the Bible. By the way, I'll get to this in the end. Instead of saying in the Greek, it really means they ought to be saying in the NIV, it really means. If you knew how many independent, fundamental King James Bible preachers get up on Sunday and quote the NIV, it would shock you. No, no, they don't quote the NIV. Oh, they do. When they say in the Greek, it really means they're quoting the same words the NIV uses from the same books. I'll get into that. Hang on with me, okay? What are they doing? They're questioning the word of God. Yea, hath God said, okay? Um, so I, uh, some guys didn't take Greek. They changed their major to assistant pastor so they wouldn't have to take Greek. That was not me. Uh, I took uh, all the Greek I could. I took Hebrew um, and then got books to be able to study and learn it. And um, it was a big deal to me and wanted that. To realize later what was going on was incredible. Here's what happened to me. I'm preaching, had a good service on Sunday. On Monday, a lady called and she said she's a graduate from Tennessee Temple University. She was visiting our services yesterday and, um, and wondered if, I could, if she could come and talk with me. Um, I said, sure. And this was about, she said, do you use a strong concordance? I said, yes, I use it at least every week, if not every day. Okay, great. I'd like to talk to you about that. Okay, sure. So she came by and she had 16 pieces of paper laid out and the piece of paper had the King James Bible verse, the New American Standard verse, and the Strong's definition for one of the words in there. 16 pages laid out with that. And 16 out of 16 times, the King James translators got it wrong. I mean, it wasn't even close to the Greek. New American Standard, I mean, they nailed it. They nailed it. It was exactly, I had heard in Bible college that John R. Rice used to say, the New American Standard is closer to the Greek. Dr. Howell said if John R. Rice was alive today, he would be King James only. He would have learned more about the issue. But in their Southern Baptist seminaries, they were taught this nestle a lot. They were taught their critical text, okay? So when you look at the critical text, and you look at the Bible, then yes, absolutely. New American Standard is closer to that. Then when you look at the definitions in Strong's or in Moulton's or in any Vine's uh, uh, word Greek, you look at the definition they give, wow, New American Standard is closer to that. Now, I argued on Alexander manuscripts and things like that and held my own with her, and I didn't let her know that bothered me, but it did. I got off the, I got, she left the office. I'm like, okay, God, I need help. <laughs> I need help. She just floored me. She showed me that the Greek 
that the Greek, she told me that, she showed me that the definitions were exactly New American Standard, but the King James translator didn't translate the word correctly. So I didn't know what to do, and I called somebody. I, we were not friends at the time, but I thought, I bet this person would know. So I called up somebody. You ready? Here we go. I'm going to go ahead and say it. You can discount the whole rest of this if you want to, or you could say, huh, maybe I need to relook at this. I looked at a book I had called New Age Bible Versions and found a phone number for, uh, um, for 80 publications and called and asked, uh, is Mrs. Ripplinger available? And she said, hold on. And she came to uh, the phone and I told her my situation, what it was. And she said, Brother Baker, she said, the reason why that the definitions um, from Strong's aligned with the New American Standard is, you ready? He wrote both of them. What? Yes, he wrote both of them. James Strong was on the original Revised Version Committee, 1881, in England. They were not planning on doing an American version of that, but he was on that committee, and he wrote Strong's Concordance and put the definitions together. So when you're translating the Bible, guess what you use? Your definitions. Then he also came back to America, and they did a new American Standard version, and he wrote that one, and the definitions, guess why they match? <gasps> wow, that's pretty amazing. I didn't know that. That helped me. From then on, I said, I am not using Strong's because I do not trust Strong's concordance uh, because when you find out who he is and what he believed and how he aligned with, who he aligned with, you look at Philip Schaff, a Luciferian, okay? Look at the hand in the coat, you know, and see what they were, what they were about. They put together a revised committee and you have James Strong's on that working with him um, and then working with Thayer later on, a, a Unitarian, and you, sing, you see what they believe and what they were about. Um, they're not fundamental Bible sincere scholars. They were not, okay? But yet we use those to get our definitions, all right? And then Moulton's, all right? This uh, lexicon here, when you look him up, okay, you have his father, William. William was on the Westcott and Hort Committee. The Westcott and Hort Revised Version Committee, okay? The Revised Version, William was on that committee. Um, the grandfather. Then his son James was a New Age religionist, published four books for uh, Zoroastrianism, okay? Um, I mean, crazy. And his son Harold put the lexicon together from his dad and from his grandfather's uh, definitions and lexicon that they had started. He put that together. And that's where we're getting our definitions from. That's where we're getting them from. Um, it's just like people on voting. Uh, the communists have said for years, we don't care who votes <laughs> as long as we count them. We could care less who votes as long as we get to count the votes. Well, we see that today, don't we? It's the same thing concerning words. We don't care what you put down as long as we get to define the word. What's the definition of marriage? What did it used to be? The holy union between one man and one woman for life. That's a definition for marriage. Uh, what is it today? Uh, two people of the same or opposite sexes joining in a legal union. A little bit different. We don't care what word you use as long as we define the words. And we have seen, listen carefully, definitions change. Look at the definition of gay 100 years ago, the definition of gay now. So it was a great, beautiful, wonderful word, and now it's not. Same way with marriage, same way with hundreds of things. And that is what Strong's did. That's what Moulton's did. They took Bible words and gave secular definitions to them. So it weakens and changes what we have, what we believe, and what we preach. Okay, well, how should we get our definitions? I'll give you that, okay? We'll show you that. Um, before that, again, have we made Greek a God? Have we made Greek a God? Well, you gotta go to the original Greek. You have to go to the original Greek. Okay, how do you know it's the original Greek? 
how do you know it's the original Greek? Well, of course, everybody knows. Really? Okay, everyone knows that. Um, here's what I was taught. So what you have is the Greeks, they brought in the language. They brought in the language and everyone, everyone spoke Greek because the Greeks conquered everything and the Greeks passed their language on and everyone spoke Greek. And then the Romans came in and conquered and they put in the roads and the government where you could go from country to country to country because it's all underneath the Roman Empire. And they brought in that. And then in the fullness of time, Jesus came. But the Greeks prepared with the language and the Romans prepared it with the roads and the government. Make sense? You heard that? I've heard that. Okay. And, um, and so, of course, the whole Bible is written in Greek. Um, interesting. You guys know a guy named James Fox, F-O-X-E? Born in 1516, okay? By the way, that was a long time ago. James Fox from Fox's Book of Martyrs, okay? Amazing book, amazing stories, amazing person. John Fox uh, put that book together. And John Fox, in his writing, said he was reading an ancient book, okay? Now, if you're born in 1518 and you're reading an ancient book, how old is that? Okay, and he said the ancient book laid out that Matthew was written originally in Hebrew, by the way, remember your New Testament survey? Matthew was written to the Jews showing Jesus as what? King. That's why the genealogy goes back uh, to David. We know that. We were taught that. If you're going to write a book to the Hebrews showing Jesus as king and you write it in a dog language of Greek, have you read the Bible? Have you seen the racism and hatred between the Jews and the Greeks? Have you seen that? You're going to write a book to the Hebrews? but yet you're going to make it be in the dog language of Greek. James Fox says this ancient book that he read said that Matthew was originally written in Hebrew and Mark was originally written in Aramaic, the servant's language. Okay, no genealogy in Mark because the servant doesn't need that. And that Luke was originally written in Greek, written, remember the genealogy to show Jesus as a man, the genealogy goes back to Adam, uh, written by Greek. Um, and so, and then John was written in Latin originally. This is what John Fox said, that he read a book, an ancient book, and he was born in 1516, an ancient book that said John was written in Latin. By the way, John, genealogy showing Jesus as God. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. Huh, you know, that would sort of make sense, wouldn't it? Four different Gospels from four different directions and four different languages showing four different things. Huh, wow. I wonder if James Fox... The ancient book was really right. By the way, think about this, the book of Hebrews, okay? The book of Hebrews, written to the Hebrews, about the Hebrews, for the Hebrews. Oh, yeah, but it was written in Greek. Really? You believe that? <laughs> the book of Hebrews, written by Hebrew, to the Hebrews, about the Hebrews? And yeah, we wrote it in Greek. Well, you understand everyone back then spoke Greek. And where did you get that from? And how do you know that? By the way, I can promise you everyone did not speak Greek. Uh, in America, we have the language of English, right? Does everyone in America speak English? Well, everything is English. Does everyone speak English? No. Okay? And in no country does everyone speak that language because you have different people in who don't know that language. Um, <laughs> and can prove it from the Bible. Acts 21, 37. And as Paul was led into the castle, he said unto the chief captain, May I speak unto thee? Who said, Canst thou speak Greek? So they asked Paul, the chief captain asked Paul, canst thou speak Greek? Do you ask someone if they can speak Greek if everyone speaks Greek? Now in a city, this may not be true, but I live in the country, in Tennessee. If I went out into the country, in Mount Pleasant, Tennessee, and knocked on a door, and a regular white person came to the door, do I need to ask, do you speak English? 
No, you don't. Okay. Everybody speaks English. It's Mount Pleasant, Tennessee. Okay. Uh, now, if it's a Spanish person there, then you can say that. But a regular white person comes to the door. I don't ask them, do you speak English? How come? Because I know they do. They asked Paul, canst thou speak Greek? Of course, he did speak Greek, but it's amazing to see they didn't all speak Greek. If they did, you could have just put Greek on there. No, on the uh, top of the uh, cross in Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Why? Because they didn't all speak Greek or Hebrew or Aramaic or Latin. They didn't all speak those, okay? And so... Um, have we made Greek a God? Now, I'm throwing a whole bunch out today, and each one of these literally could be a full lesson, but I want to give you enough in this to, for you to be curious to study yourself. Um, and, um, and I'll give you a direction if you want to get some more information. But, um, oh, you got to go to the Greek. That's where you get the nuggets at, agape phileo. You've got to go to the Greek to get the original language because that's where you're going to get the definition. Have you ever done a, a true study of agape and phileo? Have you ever done that? I have. It's pretty interesting. Um, of course, in the story of Jesus, uh, to Peter, love us on me, uh, agape. Peter answered phileo, agape, phileo, agape, phileo. Okay? And in that little story, that agape phileo works. Uh, let me ask you. So agape is the deep abiding. That's God's love right? And the phileo is friendship. It's like it's fond of you, love, okay? That's our definition. Where do we get that from? Throngs and Moltons, okay? That's where you get the Greek, the gold, the nuggets from the Greek that you can't get from the English. That's what they say. And that's what we have to do. And listen carefully, that is a lie. Have I said it strong enough? Okay, that is a lie. Do the study yourself, okay? I'll give them to you. Revelation 3.19, Jesus, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. This is Jesus speaking. Of course, in Jesus talking, it's got to be agape, right? I mean, I love them. Uh, I chasten. I love them. Uh, be zealous, therefore, and repent. Uh, that's phileo. I'm fond of you. As many as I am fond of you, I rebuke and chasten. Really? No, that's Jesus. It's got to be phileo. It's got to be agape. No, it's phileo. It's phileo. Um, and so... Uh, for he loveth our nation and hath built us a synagogue. Oh, okay. This is the uh, captain and he loves our nation. And here's a, here's a Roman captain um, who loves our nation. That's, that's phileo. He's fond of. He likes it. No, no. That's agape. That's agape. The deep abiding God love. <laughs> that's agape. What? Yeah. Yeah. Go look him up. Okay. That's Luke 7, 5. Uh, how about this? Uh, Luke eleven forty three. Pharisees, for you love the uppermost seats in the synagogue. Oh, it's got to be phileo. I mean, that's this the the like fun of that's not the deep abiding God love. Oh no, that's agape. <laughs> that's agape. What? Yeah, Luke eleven forty three. Agape. They love the uppermost seats in the synagogue. It's agape. The deep abiding God love. Is your jaw dropping? It should. How come? Because we listen to something that they got from somebody, that they got from somebody, that they got from somebody, never, nobody looked at it because they wanted to promote, you got to go to the Greek to get the nuggets. No, it's fool's gold. If you've ever said agape is the deep abiding God's love and the phileo is the like, it's fond of you love, then what you have and I have, okay, we've given heresy. We took it from what we heard, who was a good person, who took it from what who they heard it from, who was a good person, but nobody looked into it. Nobody looked into it. John 5, 20, for the father loveth the son. 
Oh, that's got to be agape, right? No, phileo. What? Yeah. Pick up your jaw. That's phileo. John 5, 20. For the father loved the son. Phileo. Fond of, just like you. <laughs> John 16, 24. Um, for the father himself loveth you. Oh, boy. That's agape. The father loveth you. No, that's phileo. Look him up. Don't believe me. Look him up. John 16, 27. Um, 2 Timothy 3, 4, traitors, um, heady, high-minded lovers of pleasures. Uh, that's probably uh, uh, phileo. Or the lovers of God. Uh, okay, lovers of God, that would be agape. Oh, no, they're both phileo. Both phileo. <laughs> How about this? John eleven five, Jesus loved Martha. That's agape. John 22, the other disciple whom Jesus loved, John, that's phileo. So Jesus agape Mary, but he only phileoed John. Really? <laughs> the disciple said, behold, mother, thy son, and son, behold, thy mother. Really? The disciple who Jesus loved, the disciple who laid his head on his breast, the disciple who penned the book of Revelation, John? Yeah, he just phileoed him, liked him, but he agape Mary or Martha. Hmm. Wow. Pretty amazing, isn't it? Jaw drop? I don't believe you. Okay, then look it up. Then look it up. Um, so 1 Corinthians 16, 22, if any man love not the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be anathema and maranatha. Oh yeah, that's agape. You got agape, the Lord Jesus Christ. No, that's phileo. If any man fond of, if you're not fond of the Lord Jesus Christ, those are fake false definitions that we got from a lexicon or from Strong's Concordance and we took them as gospel and it's fool's gold, it's not nuggets. It's not truth you can only get by going into the original languages. It's garbage. Garbage. It doesn't line up. <laughs> it doesn't line up. Interesting. Titus 2.4, that they may teach the younger women to be sober, to love their husbands. That's phileo. Ephesians 5.28, so uh, it meant to love their wives as their own bodies. That's agape. So women only have to love husbands phileo, but husbands have to love their wives agape. <laughs> really? <laughs> huh. Uh, amazing. First um, Peter two seventeen, uh, honor all men, love the brotherhood, love the brotherhood. Oh, that's that's got to be phileo. No, that's agape. Hebrews thirteen one, let brotherly love continue. Yeah, that's phileo. That's phileo. Huh? Well, you, you mean yeah, yeah? You cannot go by agape and phileo to get your Greek definition. That's going to have we made Greek a god? Have we made Greek higher than the Bible? How many false definitions have we given? to be able to have that. One more on this. Titus, or I guess two more. Titus 3, 4. But after that, the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared. The love of God our Savior. Yeah, it's got to be agape, right? No, phileo. Phileo. Verse John 2, 5. But whoso keepeth his word in him, verily is the love of God perfected. <laughs> That's got to be agape. No, phileo. Phileo. Do the study yourself. Pick up your jaw and realize, hey, not everything we taught were was the right way. When I went to Bible college, I was taught there was one perfect Greek, okay, the Texas Receptus, and there's one perfect English, the King James Bible, okay, uh, the 1611. By the way, I do have here in my hand a 1611 with the fonts and the spellings and uh, 1611, okay, and. Um, there's one perfect English, and there's one perfect Greek, Tex Receptus, and they totally agree. 
And then there, there was the false creep, the critical text, the Alexandrian text, the, um, the you know, the, the Westcott and Hort. So I was taught that, and that was good. Do you know there's not just one text of Receptus? I'll tell you a story. At the so-called, quote, King James Bible Summit, which was not, uh, there was given a time of question and answer. And so I wrote a few questions on the cards. I was on the second row and gave it to the pastor who was in charge. And uh, he didn't read it in mind publicly, but he did look at some privately. And he said, I don't understand what this is. And he flipped it back to me. And the question was simply, what Greek do you use? He said, I don't understand the question. That's very simple. What Greek do you use? And he said, again, I don't understand the question. Very simple. What Greek do you use? I never changed it because it's simple. And I think he knew what I was asking. What Greek do you use? Finally, after three or four times, he said, he said, the text receptus. Then I said, no, which one? And if you could have seen the impish look on his face as he turned back around in this impish smile and said, I use a lot of them. So much to say, oh, you know, there's more than one Texas receptus. Oh, by the way, do you know there's more than one text receptus? I'm sure you do. I didn't for a long time until I studied on it. There are at least six different strains of text receptus. The Stunica, the Stevens, the Erasmus, the Beezer, the Elzevir, and the Scrivener. And each one of those has different editions, and none of those agree with each other. So here's the question, okay? When I was in Bible college and I first heard the statement, oh, the, the, the King James Bible corrects the Greek. Like, what? That's stupid. The King James Bible came from the Greek. Perfect Greek, text receptus, perfect English, King James, done. And then I found out that wasn't true. Okay, so this is the best one, okay? Um, this is uh, the back translation from the King James Bible, okay? This is the one put up by the Trinitarian Bible Society. This has 20, at least 20 known documented errors. This is the best one, okay? All right, 20 known documented errors. When this disagrees with the King James Bible, which one's right? Think through it. When this, okay? When the Trinitarian, when the text receptus, Greek New Testament, disagrees with the King James Bible, and it does in at least 20 places, which is right. I think most independent Baptists would say, oh, well, King James Bible. Okay, so you believe also the King James Bible corrects, hello, the Greek. It corrects the Greek. There is not one Greek scholar on the face of the earth that will say that any edition of any Greek manuscript is perfect without error. None of them will. None of them will. Because they're not, <laughs> they're not, they all have errors and they all disagree. Those six different Texas Receptus, okay, the Stunica, the Stevens, the Erasmus, okay, Erasmus, heard of him, the Beezer, the Elzer, the Elzer brothers, the Scrivener, those six disagree with each other and each of those have different editions. They, they change them. Different manuscripts come out, different ones they found, just like um, you have the Nestle Alon, they're in their 28th edition now, um, 28th edition. UBS is on their fifth edition. Um, and they keep changing them, okay? Um, they do not agree. So which is different when the Greek disagrees with the King James Bible, which is right? The King James Bible. So you also agree the King James Bible corrects the Greek, okay? So what do we do, okay? What we do, and I could do a whole lesson on this, and actually, and <laughs> actually this podcast was going to be just this, but I felt like there was a lot more to get into. I mentioned this in the beginning. When you say in the Greek, origin, in the original language, if you realize how many times you're quoting the NIV, you would be shocked. If you're an independent Baptist pastor or a Bible student, scholar, Sunday school teacher, 
and you want to get up and say, and I'm going to be a little hard here. Why do we say in the Greek? Because we want people to know we're smart. We want people to know oh, we understand. Oh, we've got something you don't know. By the way, we're doing the same thing the Catholics did when they kept the Bible in Latin. They wouldn't let the English people have a copy of it in their language because they wanted to be the one to interpret it. When you say you can only get the real definitions from the Greek, what are you doing? You're saying they don't have it. Unless they get a copy of a Strong's too, and now guess what? They can be scholars also, and they can know the Greek. No, then they can be, they can have a wrong understanding, a wrong understanding of it. Sincere, like I was, trying my best, had my Strong's concordance in the Greek, in the Greek. We try our best to pronounce the words to be able to do that. Um, so in the Greek, I'm just going to give you a couple. Um, but if you knew how many times this happened, you'd be shocked. So 2 Corinthians 2, uh, 17, for we are not as many which corrupt the word of God. Okay, we are not as many which corrupt the word of God. Um, and here, let me do like they would do it. That word corrupt in the original language, it means pedal. It's the Greek word uh, kapileo, and that means pedal. So we are not as they which pedal the word of God. NIV, you ready? Unlike so many, we do not peddle the word of God. When you got up and said, in the original language, it actually means, it really means peddle. What you really should be saying is, in the NIV, it says peddle, which is a better definition, because that's what you're doing. Breathe. <laughs> Literally, I'm not trying to be hard, but you, some of you should be shocked, like I was, oh, no. It's one thing not to know, and hopefully God winks at our ignorance. It's another thing to know and continue to do it. Another thing to know and continue to do it. Let me just give you one more. First Corinthians, by the way, you can look these up, okay? Look them up. You got a strong, so you can look up an NIV, so you can do that. Um, so First um, Corinthians 4, 6, wherefore I beseech you, be followers of me. Let me do it again. So in the original language, in the Greek, that word follower means imitator, imitator. So it's saying, beseech you, I'm begging you, imitate me. Really? Imitate is not follow. Imitate is a fake, a mock, a put on. I'm imitating somebody. No, he said, follow me. Follow me. Do what I do. Follow me. Uh, they're not the same. Oh, NIV, 1 Corinthians 4, 16. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me to imitate me, okay? How many times are we quoting the NIV when we ought to be using the Bible? Well, then where do we get our definitions? Where do we do that? How do we get our definitions? Where we get them is from the Bible. You've heard the phrase, the Bible is the best commentary on the Bible. Is that right? You're looking up something you have a question about, go to other places that talk about that topic and it'll shed light on that. Listen, exactly the same way for the words. If you wanna study, if you want to be a scholar, okay, then when you have a question about the definition of a word, go through the Bible and see every way that it is used, and you will have the definition, okay? It's used often in the Bible. Ms. Ripplinger has put together a, a book and done the study. There's about a thousand archaic or older words that we don't use anymore, and she looked up every one of those and found in the first mention, it defines the word in the text, huh, chaste. What's the word chaste? We know what it means, but most people don't use it anymore. First time you find chaste, first mention, it says a chaste virgin. Look up chaste in an old English dictionary, Oxford or Webster's, and guess what chaste means, virgin? 
Chaste virgin, your brain picks that up. Chaste virgin to be able to put that together, okay? Chaste virgin, that's what it does. And so uh, Chapman, what's a Chapman? Okay, most of us don't know what a Chapman is. We don't use that word. In England, they still use it. <laughs> First mention, Chapman, Chapman and Merchants. Look up Chapman in an old Oxford or a Webster's Dictionary. Guess what Chapman means? Merchant. Your brain picks it up. Chapman's and Merchants. Oh, a Chapman must be sort of like a merchant, and you keep on going. Expands your vocabulary, gives you the definition in the first mention. Wow, the Bible's the best commentary on itself. The Bible will give you the definition. If you want a little help with that, some people have already done that. Okay, it's called the Webster's 1828 Dictionary, which is a Bible dictionary. There is so much scripture in Webster's 1820 Dictionary. It's crazy. Okay, inspiration. You go through it, there's five different definitions in there, and one of them is a theological definition that says infusion of ideas into the mind by the Holy Spirit. Okay, um, inspiration. Um, so creation, okay. By the way, it has the scripture in there, 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. It has the Bible verse in the dictionary definition. Yes, yes. How's it used there? Um, interesting. You look up tempt where um, God tempted Abraham. Look up that in Webster's. This is theologically, it means to test or to try. <laughs> and then it quotes that verse. It's amazing. It's a Bible dictionary. How did the Bible use these words? That's how we get our definition. Okay, that's how we get our definition. Love. Okay, obviously, so many different ones. You look it up. Webster's, Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven, John three sixteen. They're using the Bible to define the words, which is what we should do. Okay, if you want to know what a word means, you can look it up. Do a systematic the systematic theology study of that word, and you'll find out how it's used, and you'll have the context, and you'll understand the definition of that word. Or you can look it up in a Webster's, Webster's eighteen twenty-eight dictionary that will be using a Bible definition for that okay so um all right hey did i blow your mind <laughs> did i make you mad are you ready to fight hopefully not i don't want to fight anybody but i would love to help us to get more back to the purity of the bible and if you could understand what we do when we say in the greek number one we are raising ourselves above the people we want to sound scholarly you want to listen to a fun thing go look up the um, youtube sermon uh called hush you don't know greek uh, by dr norris belcher okay hush you don't know greek um pretty interesting he'll get strong with you uh we don't know greek uh we want to act like we know greek so what we do is in the greek it says and all we're doing is giving a strong concordance definition most of the time most of the time we're not even looking up in a lexicon they're both corrupt Okay, they both taken biblical theological definitions and made them secular. If you want to read about that, there's a great book. You can get it from uh, from um, um, the uh, from AB Publications. Okay, and it's fourteen, fifteen hundred pages. You want to know about it? Hazardous materials. Okay, Greek and Hebrew study dangers. Uh, the men behind the smokescreen. You ought to read that. You ought to see it. You ought to look it up. You ought to know about that. Here's what we do. We take the word of God and we define it by trusting this or Strong's that we're not theologically sound. We made Strong's a fourth member of the Trinity almost. Uh, what we give him because, oh, he can help us to be scholarly. And actually what we're doing is in the Greek, we ought to be saying, at least be honest, in the NIV it says, in the NIV it quotes, at least be honest in doing that. Most fundamental Baptist preachers would never do that from the NIV, but yet we're using the same words by saying the scholarly phrase in the Greek. Have we made a Greek God? Have we made Greek a God? Have we elevated it above 
the Bible and above God. I believe we have, okay? I believe we have. And so um, it's not to be Greek, it's to be the Bible. And God gave us the Word of God for us. The King James Bible is perfect without error. All we have to do is preach it. All you do is preach it. If you need to define a word, great. Define it using it in the context or look it up in a good dictionary, okay? Not in a corrupt one that's trying to change the words to make them secular, just like they've done with the word marriage. It's not a Bible word anymore. By the way, who started marriage? Who instituted marriage? Where did the laws or rules or definition of marriage come from? From the Bible. Now we've secularized it and made it some sodomite, um, fake, false, messed up thing and we call that marriage what have we done we've taken a bible word marriage and we've given it a secular definition secular definition which is the same things that is done uh in the greek okay thayer vines molten strongs all of them all of them and uh they they've been done to deceive and to weaken our preaching um and to get us away from the word of god i would encourage you not to do that stick with the bible Okay, stick with the Bible. Uh, you're not a scholar. You don't know Greek. And the ones who claim to, all they know is the bad definitions that were given them. Oh, I read Greek. Congratulations. Oh, I understand Greek. You only understand the definitions that you, that you got from that. And we don't need that. We need the Bible. Preach it. Live it. Use it. All right. God bless you. Hey, uh, if you've got questions, uh, you can send them in uh, the Fundamental Baptist Podcast at gmail.com. And uh, well, I'm sure we'll do some more um, on this topic. Hopefully that was a help to you. I open her to you. <laughs> Hope you're not mad at me. Um, but um, hopefully, um, by the way, I'll end with this. This is how big this is, especially for young people to learn this. I've told some preachers that have colleges and training that if we do not teach young men the right principles when they graduate from their fundamental Baptist Bible college, where they spent thousands of dollars and thousands of dollars to train them and money and every time and hour, and all the teachers and everything that's gone into it, they will not be King James only a few years after they graduate, unless they work for a good pastor that is, because this junk is out there and they, if they don't know where to get the right answers, what are they going to do? If I had not called Miss Ripplinger 20 plus years ago when I saw the Strongs had the definition of the New American Standard and nailed it, the King James Translators got it wrong. If I had not had somebody with some knowledge to call and ask that, guess what I would be doing today? I'd probably be using the ESV like so many other of these because oh, it's closer to the Greek. No, it's closer to the fake Greek, to the critical text, the Westcott North, to Nestle Aland. It's closer to that, okay? Uh, to the Mesker, it's closer to those, but it's not closer to the real Greek, and it's not closer to the Bible. It is a mess, and um, but that's what's happening today. Because how come? Because we don't take the time to learn these issues and make sure that we're teaching it to our young people. When they do, lights go on, and they'll be solid, and they'll still be fundamental, and they'll still be King James. Uh, decades later, if you get the right answers to these questions, if not, some huckster is going to deceive them. And they're going to throw down their King James Bible and pick up an ESV or an NIV or something else, and uh, that'll be the direction they're going. All right. Hey, God bless you. Thanks for hanging in with me. And uh, if I can do something for you, let me know. God bless. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Fundamental Baptist Podcast. If you have any questions, you can email us at thefundamentalbaptistpodcast at gmail.com.